This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 83, The Transformation Journey. You might feel like you're in a time of winter, maybe even the winter of your life. It might feel dark and full of despair, but know that the pain you're feeling now or you might be feeling now can really ignite an incredible transformation if you choose to use it as fuel. For this episode, I sat down with Julie Martin. Julie has been teaching yoga for 25 years, including 10 years in Goa, India. She teaches now how to break free from linear yoga and outdated dogma and invites students into a practice that embraces their individuality and curiosity. She just published a book called The Transformation Journey, and today we sat down to talk about yoga and mindfulness practices that help us through the stages of personal empowerment and transformation. If you like this podcast, know that you can continue to get inspired and learn even more with a premium membership with a subscription on Patreon. So as a member, you get early access to regular episodes, a ton of exclusive audio and video content, and the ability to request the exact kind of episode you need to continue to deepen your practice. This podcast is one of the ways I contribute to the community and the world, and so this membership can be a way you do that too. It would allow you to share everything yoga has to offer with the world by supporting me in the creation and the production of this podcast. So if you'd like to make a difference, visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a premium member. I thank you so much in advance for your support. Now, one last thing before we get to today's episode, we were hosting a giveaway in our last one. So thank you so much. If you left a review to enter, you had to, you had to leave a review on iTunes and it really helps people find this podcast. So the winner of our giveaway, which by the way, was Trina's Altman new book, Yoga Deconstructed Movement Principles for Teachings, is iTunes users Stitch G No Mercy. Stitch G No Mercy said, fantastic and insightful. I'm really impressed by the diversity and depth of experiences and interviews in this podcast. I've never felt so seen in a yoga podcast. Oh, thank you. Stitch G No Mercy for your review. And it really touches my heart. And send me an email or a DM. So email at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me at on and off your mat podcast on Instagram and I'll get you your book. Yeah, we'll get that organized for you. All right, guys, ready? Let's get to our episode of today with Julie. Hi, Julie. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Julie, for listeners that don't know you or don't know you very well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey to get us started? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, I am a... Where do I start? I know. <laughs> I, was, I was actually brought up in a Vedantist family. So my journey with yoga began from a very early age, but it was always meditation and devotion, things like that. And um, it wasn't until I was about 25, 26 that I started an asana practice. Of course, this goes way back. So there wasn't many people practicing back then. So mm-hmm. um, just to give you a reference, I'm 55 now. So, <laughs> so it's a long time. And just watching the the whole yoga world like evolve and morph um, has been like a huge um, part of my experience and part of what I bring to what I do um, as a teacher um, in the role of leadership for people. I um, I started off with an Iyengar practice. I moved into an Ashtanga practice. Um, then I moved into vinyasa flow, and then I realized probably about 10, 12 years ago that, um, that yoga was really about being embodied, like being in the body, not trying to make shapes, but, but actually being present with the experience of the practice and letting go of the ideas about what the practice should look like. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of forged my way through the yoga world. Of course, now you hear the, embo- the word embodiment everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the day I was, you know, really considered, you know, this outlier that was, um, supposed to get in trouble from the yoga police. 
uh, which was hilarious because I always remind people the yoga police never show up. <laughs> um, yeah, and traveling through, you know, I started off in the in the U.S. in Southern California. Um, I first experimented with yoga. I moved to the U.K. for 18 years, and then I moved to India, and I lived there for 12 years. And I set up Brahmani Yoga, which is you know, the, the name that most people know me by is, you know, the Brahmani Yoga, um, because I, um, started doing teacher trainings about 17 years ago and, um, teaching people worldwide. So that's where I've kind of got my reputation through, um, through that sort of like that anchoring of being in India for so long and having people from all over the world, just traveling through and then finding me there. Um, which was such a blessing. And, and right now I live in Hawaii. So oh, good. This, is where I've, this is where I've kind of ended up for the time being. <laughs> Not too bad. <laughs> so in the time that we are now, um, today we wanted to talk uh, about how yoga and transformation can come hand in hand in our life on the mat and off the mat. But I feel with everything that's been happening in the world, a lot of people feel like we are in a time of stagnation and they feel stuck or they feel at the mercy of what is out of their control, you know, their circumstances. What do you think about that? What's, what are your thoughts on that? You know, that's such a great question because, you know, everybody I'm in contact with all over the world, whether it's you know, my mentoring clients or studios that I was supposed to teach at, you know, which all of that sort of fell off the map. And, you know, all of those changes, the response I've had from almost every single person out there is, I feel stuck. I don't know what it means to be a yoga teacher anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. And so we've been put into this, um, like this crisis mode. And, and I keep reminding people, wait a minute, this is just hitting the pause button. It's giving us an opportunity to re-examine what is really important to us mm-hmm. because that's the yoga practice. Can I keep pausing and just looking inward? Because when we've been given this opportunity, even though it seems like it's, you know, a jail sentence for many people around the world, they're not allowed to barely leave their houses. Mm -hmm. um, It can feel confining. But in fact, you know, if we if we use yoga, if we're really practicing yoga, we're using that opportunity to get expansive to say, okay, things are changing. Why don't I like, why don't, why am I holding on to stuff that isn't making me happy? Why am I teaching that one class on the other side of town, which I don't have to travel to anymore, but you know, only two people show up and I get, you know, whatever, $25 or 25 euros or whatever it is. You know, why am I still doing that? Or why am I still working with this one studio that doesn't allow me to teach the way I want to, or, You know, and the bigger picture, you know, why do I still doubt myself? Why do I still doubt my skills? Um, All of these sort of things. So I keep reminding people, this is where the practice begins. And um, and that's the tagline that I use at the end of every single class that Mm -hmm. I teach. The end of the class. This is where the practice begins, right? Mm -hmm. How can we be present and And first and foremost, just take stock of where we are, because especially the yoga world has been, it's been moving very fast. It's been changing and evolving and people are constantly questioning, what is yoga? Am I doing it right? You know, Mm -hmm. or am I going to the right teachers? Am I getting the right information? Do I want to become a teacher? Or if I'm teaching, what am I teaching? Am I, you know, again, we're always Um, trying to gauge by what everybody else is doing. And that since this, you know, universal lockdown, um, it's for me, it's like, wow, what a blessing because I get to just go, what, what does it mean to me? Mm. Because I cannot transform. I cannot move into a period of growth until I take stock of where I am right now. And that's, you know, I always say to people, your first step in transformation is, you know, a tool I call the life closet. You know, you've got the junk drawer or the junk closet, you know, usually next to the front door, you just throw everything in and you keep saying, one day I'm going to clean that out. One good day I'm going to clean it out. Right. (laughs) But when the time comes to clean it out, you have to make a mess. You have to take everything out of the closet, spread it around the room and go, 
What am I keeping? What am I giving to charity? What am I throwing into the trash? And we have to do that with our lives. And I feel like 2020 gave us that opportunity to just clean out our life closet, just go, God, what am I doing? And what, what, what is important to me? What are my goals? And, and where do I really want to channel my energy right now? And mm-hmm. that's like the first step to transformation is coming to that state. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to remember to that in situations where we are forced to change or when we feel pain, where we feel that is great fuel that ignites the change. It's not a long-term motivator, but it's really good to create that breakthrough that we might not do on our own because it's not feeling good in the beginning. Right. So there's also that to remember. It's yes. There's a push there. Yeah. Because change is almost always incited by pain or discomfort right? Mm-hmm. You know, if things are feeling great and you're riding the wave and everything's wonderful, you're not usually prompted to self-examine, yeah. to make those changes. No right. But the minute something gets uncomfortable, that's the, that's the golden opportunity. So, you know, one thing that I always say, if there's anything that you take away from the kind of work that I do is, can you just be grateful for these moments of recognition, wow, I can either go into crisis mode or I can pause and just notice where I am right now and, and see, you know, what are some questions I want to ask myself before I move forward? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are those pillar of transformation? You talk about taking stock. That was the first like thing we mm-hmm. needed to do, right? That closet image. So yeah. how does it work? What is transformation? Transformation um, for me is about growth and expansion, and it's, and it's an ongoing process. And I try really hard to eliminate the word change mm. from my vocabulary. Why? Because I think so often we're labeling um, transformation with change, mm-hmm. and change suggests there's something wrong with us. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that taking stock is to realize we're okay wherever we are. You know, we're totally okay. Um, And once we've taken stock, then we have like, we should have like a blank page in front of us. And, and, And that next, you know, for me, that next pillar of transformation is, is can I, can I really choose what I want Because if you sit down with 90% of the people, whether they're doing a yoga practice or not, and you ask them, what is it you really want? They might give you one sentence about what they really want, and then you'll give you 10 about what you don't want. Mm -hmm. We're so clear on what we don't want versus what we actually want. Exactly. And that's that's why that taking stock to move into that that let's look at what we really want and can we really refine it and define it Mm. because until we really define it, we don't know what we want. And then we're just, you know, we're at the mercy of random chaos because transformation has to be about focusing our energy and we can't project our energy to something we really want. If we keep focusing our energy on all the things that we don't want, in order to get it, you know. And we can direct ourselves towards a destination if we don't know what that destination is. We're kind of on that. I like the image uh, of the hamster wheel. You'll just go and you'll hustle, but you're not going very far. You're not going, yeah. And that's and that's where that's why so many people don't really allow themselves to transform because they don't recognize the thought process is focused. Their energy is focused on what they don't want. And I have um, a great example in in my book, The Transformation Journey, that is all about, you know, let's say just if, if we focus on women, so many women in this, you know, on this planet quite often say, oh, I want to, I want to lose like, you know, three kilos or something, or, you know, five pounds or wherever you are in the world. And I say to them, well, that really isn't what you want, right? Because let's look at some facts here. I want to lose three kilos, All right. Just look at your forearm. How many kilos or your hand? How many kilos do you think that weighs? You know, now 
what if tomorrow I'm I'm in a car accident and I damage my forearm so badly they have to amputate it. That's my that's my three or four kilos gone. Yeah. Right? I've Your goal has been <laughs> yeah. My goal has been met, right? <laughs> um what you really want is you want to fall in love with being in your body as it is. And that is, is just a huge eye-opener for people. You don't want to lose weight. You don't want to change yourself. You want to, you, the feeling that you're looking for isn't about being skinnier or being lighter in your body. It's about loving your body. And I think we're not allowed or we're not encouraged often to have that dialogue with ourselves. You know, I don't think we grow up in a world, um, at least certainly my generation and I know the previous generation, nobody said, you know, let's take stock of loving ourselves. Let's put into play some mechanisms to really love our bodies as they are, especially women. And um, I know now there's like this huge you know, movement of body positive and, um, you know, embracing all different shapes and sizes. But can we get to that emphasis of, can I just love my body, myself and my life right now, like in this moment? Mm -hmm. Because essentially, that's what we're looking for when we're thinking of, you know, say our our biggest hurdle is um, just non-acceptance of the body. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because the dialogue in the brain is always talking to us at a cellular level, if we cling on to this, um, you know, this this idea of what we don't want our bodies to be so often, what happens is the cells start to break down. And this is when disease and illness sets in because our brains are wired to tell our bodies we're not good enough. Right. And so when we change that and we start to love our bodies, like literally have gratitude instead of thinking, well, I can't do the splits. Think, I love that my, I have legs. I love that I have legs, you know? That was one of the greatest things about teaching and running teacher trainings in India is people would come to me and say, oh, I wish my back bends could be deeper on, you know, so-and-so can like get her foot behind her head and both of them and bow. And, and I used to say, you know, we have to be grateful for the bodies we have because I want you to just go out and visit the slums and see how many people have, you know, been brutally crippled by polio because they didn't get polio vaccines or don't have legs and they're having to beg on the street or they don't have hands or they've been blinded and they're still having to survive some way and I said and then does it really make a difference if you can do the splits or not you know it really doesn't when you look at the big picture exactly and when you look at the big picture you can keep you can keep then zooming in on what you love about yourself so we have to keep reminding ourselves there's the macrocosm and the microcosm. And our energy is, 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 is everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop at our skin. So when we can zoom out, it's almost like we can then just cultivate that love and connection back into the body. And just remember, this is the vibration I want to walk through my daily life with, not the vibration of, oh, someday I'm going to be able to do xyz in my yoga practice or someday i'm going to be able to fit in a size two pair of jeans Mm -hmm. you know and it's like you know i i always remind people yeah i used to be extremely flexible back in my early yoga days because i went for it i just went for the shapes and you know i used to have both feet behind my head and and believe me i it didn't make me happy there was no happiness with it there was no like cellular deep joy Mm -hmm. You know, and there was those moments when I injured myself doing stuff like that, that I realized this isn't, this can't be the practice. This can't be what the practice is about. It has to be about something different. (laughs) And so, you know, from then on, I've had this, you know, it's that cha-cha with the voice of the mind. Can I keep coming back to loving the body I'm already in instead of projecting what I'm not? So from what you've said, we have where we start, right? Taking stock, gratitude, loving those things, focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want, which is an important step. And now we're talking about all the mental 
you know, dialogues and criticism and beliefs, anything else that we need to think about when we think about the big picture of transformation? Yes. And this is probably one of the most important things. I'm glad you're so organized in, in, in drawing this in a, in, in a concise way because I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who goes off on a tangent. Um, we need to understand that our brain is wired for repetition, right? So the survival mechanism in the brain is wired for repetition. And I always say to people, you know, it isn't about just that gratitude or, or focusing on what you do want. You have to understand your brain is going to initially work against you, right? This is, again, this other thing was like, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, their relationship with abundance. And one of the things is, is that people just believe they're living in lack. And I, mm-hmm. and I say to them, you're wired that way, right? If you think about your ancestors, anybody from like five or six generations back, probably living in survival mode, um, you think about anything before the industrial age. If one of our ancestors arrived in the present moment and they came into our homes, they would go, wow, you guys must be royalty now yeah. because you've got running water in your house and you've got food in your refrigerator. You don't have to go out and hunt it and kill it and go get water from you know, a river five miles away. And you've got more than one pair of shoes, you know, like for most of us, you know, that is, that's what we're coming from. So when we're inheriting these gene pools, we're inheriting, you know, these memories as well. And it's memories of lack. So the first thing we have to do is remember that the limbic system is going to program us with these belief systems, whether it's ancestral or whether it's the way we were brought up. Right. Mm -hmm. And it works both ways. You know, if you were, if you grew up and your mom just said, to you every single day. Oh my God, you're so smart. You're so smart. Everything you do is so intelligent. You grew up believing you're smart, right? But conversely, if you grew up going, oh, don't be so stupid. You know, that was what you heard all the time. Why would you make such a stupid choice? Um, You know, then you grow up believing, hey, I'm, I'm stupid, right? And so we have to recognize that there's a whole part and I won't get too sciencey about this, but it involves like the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and all the mechanisms in the limbic system that are designed to wire these things on repeat. So it's like, you know, the old, I know nobody has cassette tapes anymore, but you know, they're looped. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that loop, it was like the tape keeps playing, you know, you put it in the tape player and it goes back to the beginning immediately. Right. So, um, We have these loops in our brain, and depending on how old these belief systems are, it's going to take us energy. It cannot come from the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex takes all this new information in, right? And if it were easy, right, if it were just about going, well, I love myself today, Mm -hmm. And that was it. You just changed that thought. It doesn't happen that way because the limbic system says, well, we haven't been thinking this. We've been hating ourselves for the last 30, 40 years, or we've been doubting ourselves, or we've been, we've been scrimping and saving, you know, or whatever it is. So the limbic system goes, no, this isn't, this isn't our repeat mode. And so it can't happen from the cognitive brain. We take that information, we take knowledge, and then we have to make it experiential. So we have to turn it into energy. And this is where the yoga comes into place. Mm -hmm. And this is why yoga really shouldn't be about shapes. It should be about feeling and sensing. So um, just as a little exercise, I know a lot of people live in in lack or, you know, if only I had another, you know, $10,000 in the bank, life would be easier, $100,000, everybody wants to win the lottery. But um, when it comes to that, we have to feel the energy of abundance in gratitude. So um, I'll just ask you and all the listeners for a moment, just close your eyes and just notice your breath for a moment or two so that we come into the body. So again, we always want to feel and sense what does it feel like to inhale and exhale? What is the movement of the ribs? What does it feel like when you swallow? And now I want you 
to imagine you have unlimited access to the largest trust fund ever known. You don't even have to think about where your next paycheck is coming from or anything. The money is there. It's there for your use always. How does that feel in the body? What do your shoulders do? What does your jaw do? And then how would you behave? What would be your manners? How would you get out of bed in the morning? What would you think about if money was always there for you? And then just gently open your eyes. Now, when you carry that energy with you for the rest of the day, you're attracting abundance because you've already had that sensation. Again, we've channeled energy, right? Mm -hmm. So I always warn people, like, when you go to do something today that involves money, can you pause and just go back to that sensation? Because it's that energy that's going to change your the way you relate to money, which changes your energy about money, which then draws abundance to you. And, and the beautiful thing is, especially with the yoga practice, we realize it was never about money. Again, just like being happy in our body was never about losing weight. It was about being able to trust, right? Mm-hmm. Because the one, the, the issue around the lack is that what the what ifs, right? What if I can't, pay, especially now, what if I can't pay my bills? Mm-hmm. What if I can't, you I know, work um, again? What if I, yeah. What if, what if, and it's, again, it's abundance isn't about how you know, most of us don't want, you know, you don't want to open up the door and see a Ferrari there, you know, um, or have, you know, a multi-million dollar mansion. We, as, as I think as yoga practitioners, we always, we already get, that's not really what equates happiness, mm-hmm. but it's being able to go, how would I behave if I had access to this universal trust fund? I'd relax. I would trust. That's why I like using the term trust fund. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would trust that I'm okay, that I'm whole, because this is what the yoga talks about. We are all complete and whole already. Mm -hmm. We just keep doubting it, right? Yeah. And I find there's a direct link between our energy and that place of starting, right? When we take stock, it's not only of what's around us, what's inside of us, but that part inside of us, the energy is one of those. If we're feeling really low in energy, if we're feeling really negative in energy, you feel stuck. That's where you feel really stuck. If you can move, not only, you know, bring new energy, but at the minimum, feel your energy, move your energy. And as you said, this is where yoga comes in. We have, just like we did with you now, really short meditation shifted Mm -hmm. the energy. I totally felt that. And So we have meditation, we have breath work, even just breath awareness without getting fancy into anything. And then there's movement. So all these pieces can really affect our energy levels, our like capacity to gain momentum even, Mm -hmm. and just our, like you were saying, just our vibration and what we are bringing in. Yeah, because what I love about the science of it is that Quantum physics has already proven what so many of the ancient texts have said about energy, right? When, and, um, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Bruce Lipton, you know, he talks about it on a cellular level, as well as, you know, so many other people talking about it on a quantum level, but it's the same thing internally and externally, whatever energy we're feeding into ourselves is what it's like the waves, you know, like when the stone hits the water, Mm -hmm. it is ripples in the, in the water we're projecting out. And that's why, You know, when we really tune in with the practices into the sensation, into the energy, understanding what's the emotions arising out of that energy so that we can start to give space for shift, we realize it just affects how we open our eyes and look at the bigger picture, what we see, and then what we're allowed to receive. Mm 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because if you're stuck in negativity, you're stuck in um, you're stuck in the sympathetic nervous system, and so then the body and the energy you're feeding your body is fight and flight. And in fight and flight, it's not time to j- grow. It's not time to change. It's not time for expansion. No, you don't have it's the energy time, for that. It's time for survival, right? Mm-hmm. And everything in your body will shut down. And that's why I explain to people in the most simplistic manner, that's why stress is the number one killer. Because when it's time to shut down, if energetically you've been in this period of just, I'm just surviving, then eventually the body goes, we need to put her into bed because she won't stop, right? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. he won't stop. So what are we going to do? We're going to manifest illness. We're going to manifest disease because she ain't, she ain't listening to us anymore, right? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really simply put, and I'm sure people have heard that countless times, where your focus goes, your energy goes, right? So mm-hmm. it links again that energy, it's not just affecting your body, but it's affecting your mind, your perspective, your beliefs. Just as simple as are you seeing the challenges ahead as problems or as gifts or as fuel or as mm-hmm. so simple, but yet it's going to change every action you're going to take mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. Um, I also talk about, you know, um, the that whole reflection of t- making sure you keep reminding yourselves of the moments in your past where now you can see, wow, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am. And so you start to understand that whole, you know, is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. perfect example, you know, you're having a, you think you're having a wonderful relationship with a guy and then he ends up, you know, he's cheating on you and you're heartbroken and you're devastated. And at the time you think your world is torn apart, but you know, then you fast forward. Well, wow. If I hadn't split up with him, I hadn't moved. I wouldn't have moved out of that apartment and moved in with this friend where I met this other guy or had this great opportunity where I moved to whatever New Zealand and I'm living the life that I've always wanted to live. And if I had stuck with that guy, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in this wonderful place that I am now. And, and you have to keep reminding yourselves, you know, um, a, a really powerful and, and, you know, huge metaphysical um, experience that I had is I had a difficult relationship with my mother. Um, she was a control freak. And growing up, I felt like I didn't have a voice, like it was easier to just keep quiet, which is so ironic considering (laughs) I love to talk, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I felt like, um, I was suffocating. Right. And I felt restricted and I felt confined and I used to get very angry. And I had a whole period in my twenties of just like picking through that anger and not blaming my mother. And then I had this amazing realization. I probably, it was probably when I was about 35 years old and it was like, wow, I teach people to be free in their bodies, to breathe, to be expansive. And I'm so passionate about it because I had felt so restricted as a child. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't felt that confinement, would I be so vocal and so passionate about helping people find this freedom in movement, in breath, through the yoga practices, through embodiment, would I be so passionate about it? Probably not. Probably not. No. I might enjoy it for myself, but would I be like, hey, come on, everybody, I, I mm-hmm. want to share this with you. Yeah. Right? So it's like, oh, wow, what a gift to grow up. You know, so I, I quite often... And it doesn't mean mother. we would want to relive yeah. that or we want to wish that on anybody. It's, it's really no. not like that. It's really just, it was the pain that you needed to have a breakthrough, even if it's over a decade, or it was the pain that was needed for you in your journey to move you towards being more expensive, being more open, being more receptive to what you yeah. need and what you want to create. Yeah. And it's like I often say, my mom was my guru without, you know, without... Without that kind of relationship, it was like, yeah, that was what I needed to be an empowering and inspiring teacher. Mm-hmm. So and when I we know, never, yeah, I would never want to relive it, but yeah, I would never want to change my past mm-hmm. because of it. Yeah. Once we know, and we're doing some work on understanding where we are, where we want to go, all the beliefs, all the 
you know, stories we have, we're working on our energies, we're using all the tools we want, but we're still kind of getting stuck. We're not getting really the momentum we're hoping for. What, why are we getting stuck? Why are old habits so, you know, (laughs) keeping (laughs) us from actually making that change sometimes in the actions that we need to take? Perfect word, the actions we need to take. And I think that's where that, you know, that process, like you said, it gets stuck. It's like you see a little bit of momentum and then you take, you know, a few more steps back. And it's because we don't embrace what we want in our actions as well. So we understand energy and we can do our meditations. And I've got, you know, some, you know, meditation course, uh, courses on, you know, as part of the book that I've written that take you through that process. But then also we have exercises that are about, you know, embodying in a, in a daily basis, how do I embody the person I want to be now? And there's several frames of reference that people might have heard this before, um, you know, the, uh, the um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a fantastic program based on spirituality, really, where they say, fake it until you make it. And so it's a similar kind of thing. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I'm a huge fan of, Me too. he always says, when you get up in the morning, who do you want to be today? Like, how do you behave the way you want to be? Mm-hmm. And so for... For instance, when um, when I have body issues that still creep up because I, you know I I grew up in in the ballet world, so of course I've got body issues. Um, and every once in a while, my limbic system goes, "Oh, wait a minute! Do you remember this old tape back here? Because it was a really strong, thick tape that played for years and years and years." And then I pause and I actually have to say, "Okay, if I had the body of a supermodel, how would I put on my clothes? How would I look in the mirror?" I probably, I know a lot of people that have got amazing bodies, beautiful. They don't even look in the mirror because again, they trust. I know I'm beautiful. I trust, I trust my genes fit me. I trust. Or they don't even feel beautiful, even if in our eye, they're beautiful. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's that whole thing of how do I, how do I put on my clothes if I already love my body? How do I, how do I, get into the car? How do I walk down the street? You know, there's that whole image of how do I walk across this, across the beach in a bikini? If I loved my body, mm-hmm. that would be a different, I, that would be different behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. I wouldn't go into my closet and all of a sudden say, Oh, I need to wear, wear something that makes me look thinner. No, I need to wear something that I feel beautiful in. So I have, um, I have this exercise called this your, make your own superhero. And, um, and it's, it's finding all these little things that do make you feel like the person you want to be, you know? Um, and, and I encourage people to make a superpower playlist. What are all your favorite songs that make you feel like you're amazing? You're invincible. You're like, life is great. And of course it's different for everybody, you know, make yourself your power playlist. Um, have, you know, clothes that make you feel good, not necessarily make you feel thinner or like that change, or like you've got bigger boobs or smaller boobs or whatever it is that you want or a bigger butt or a smaller, butt. but just clothes that you're like, I feel good in these clothes, you know, put on that outfit and it might have some jewelry, you know, the things that you leave for special, don't leave them for special. You're already special, right? Like say that every day, God, I'm already having a great day. I'm going to, you know, wear the things that make me feel great. And even if you need to have a little party with some girlfriends so you can all put on those fancy clothes um, that, you know, like I have to do that here in Hawaii because, you know, people here, like sometimes I'll go, wow, you're really dressed up to, to go to the grocery store. And I'm like, yeah, because that's how I want to feel today. Yeah. Because everybody here just wears flip-flops. Mm-hmm, <laughs> just mm-hmm. like, no, I have a pair of really cute ankle boots and I love wearing them. And I love how I feel when I walk, when I wear them, you know? And so I want, I want that, that moment of empowerment. How do I walk through the grocery store, you know, feeling all the things I want to, want to feel and, 
you know, and we relate it to food as well. And I remind people there's a difference between comfort food when we're feeling like, oh, I just want to crawl under the covers and eat Doritos or chocolate cake or something. That's not power food. But food, when we really tune into intuitive eating, the food that we know just makes us feel good, not the should food either. It's not, you know, well, I should eat more greens because, you know, that's what they tell me. But if you eat greens and it makes you feel good, like, you know, have a celebration of, you know, that kind of food, you know, or if your favorite smoothie or something where you just, you eat it and you just tell all of your cells, I, it feels so good to eat this. And my body feels so good when I eat this. So it's bringing this energy of what, where we want to be into our actions. Mm-hmm. Can we behave like the people we want to be? Yeah. All, already. Yeah. There's, um, I often teach to my clients that there's kind of an equation. Like if you put it really simply, there's your thoughts or your emotions, your belief, everything that, you know, is in this area and there's your energy as well. And then there's your action and together they create a result. So like thought plus action equal result. But oftentimes people think that the thought has to come first and then the action is going to come naturally and it can, but you mm-hmm. can also go the other way. You can focus right. on changing the behavior until the thought change, or you can focus on changing the thought until the behavior change, or you can do both and it's going to be much more easy because right. you're reinforcing that back and forth with the thought and the behavior. You're not just trying to change from, you know, positive affirmation. You're not just trying to change by forcing yourself to do a behavior. You're doing, you're approaching that transformation through both direction. And this is where you get results that are long lasting and that actually feel good, I believe. Absolutely. Because what happens is the limbic system starts to notice and it starts to notice your daily behavior. Well, she she was, she's moving, she's talking, she's behaving like she loves herself or like she is abundant or that she trusts the universe or she feels whole, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and then, you know, the limbic system starts to say, huh, wow. Okay. This seems to be the new pattern. So let's start making a tape on this. This is a new reality. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And then the old tape every once in a while it pops up, but then the new tape says, Oh, wait a minute. We're, I thought we erased you. So again, it ha- it starts to happen quicker. You you know you pause and you go, oh no, I don't think that about myself anymore. And then you have a little moment of celebration. Then you put yeah. on your little power you know play playlist and you know like yes, I won. I won over my limbic system, and I am now even more empowered because I realize yes, I can do this. It is about that momentum. Those old tapes, they have played so many times that they have that momentum to come up quickly and easily. And so you need to create the momentum on the new tapes for them Mm -hmm. to come and not default to your natural, you know, tendency of that old story you're replaying all the time. Yeah. So I I want to come back to one thing you said in the beginning as we wrap this up. Um, And you talked about transformation versus change. So I think... Mm. We talked about the mind already, but as we approach transformation, how do we do it without being or coming from a place of judgment, without coming from that place of, I need to change because I am not enough in some way, I am broken in some way, or yeah, let's, let's go with that. How do we yeah. transform <laughs> without judgment as a without base, judgment. as a motivation? Right. Mm-hmm. And this is where I love all of the yoga practices because we're constantly teaching and I hope everybody has some kind of practice where they realize when you come into the body or come into the breath and come into stillness, we have to arrive there without judgment and without expectation, Mm -hmm. right? Because those are the killers. Um, Because that that means I need to change. If I'm going to judge where I am now, oh, I can't meditate for more than two minutes or my body doesn't feel right. That's a judgment, right? And so that's what, what makes us believe there's something wrong with us. Or if we expect, again, that's a belief that there's something wrong with us. It's like, oh, well, I've been practicing for five years. I should, Why mm-hmm. I, I should be able to do a full Urdhva Danyarasana or I should be able to hold my breath 
you know, in one of my breath retentions for longer. And it's like, well, that is, you're telling yourself you're not good enough because you can't do these things. And so that, and being in the body, and that's why I work with a very embodied movement practice. I'm asking you to explore sensation around a structure so that there is no judgment because sensation is, is um, subjective. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. Um, just noticing your breath is subjective. I can't, I can't notice my breath in a wrong way. And when people are first introduced to these kind of practices, you know, I notice people go, well, what am I supposed to feel? And I'm like, I can't tell you because there is, you're not supposed to feel anything. Just feel Mm -hmm. and notice it. And then you can't compare to anybody else because we don't have the experience of somebody else's body. We can never experience what it's like to be somebody else. Everything is subjective. And can we keep arriving in the body without judgment, without shame, without expectation, and realize, okay, I'm here right now. Nothing needs to change. There's no need to change. Can I be open to possibility for growth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we really rest in that, that's, I think that's the most powerful moment for people is can I just be open to growth and realize I'm already, I'm already okay because I remind people, if you're sitting there and there's a ground beneath you and there's a roof over your head and you can breathe and you know there's nobody about to attack you, there's food in your refrigerator, you have at least one person who loves and cares about you, then you're good to go, right? <laughs> you're good. Yeah. You already have more than somebody living a thousand years ago, right? So I'm safe. I'm good to go. I'm okay. Whatever childhood trauma we've experienced is not happening right now, right? Mm-hmm. So without getting too depth into like therapy, which I recognize, it's not that easy if somebody has been extremely traumatized, yeah. you know, through their life and that needs extra help, Right. Go to see, go get a, a therapist, a counselor. There's so many great programs out there that can help you. Let somebody hold your hand, please. Um, but, you know, for those of us that have already been on this path and it's that sense of being stuck, remember every time you come back into the body with awareness, yeah. without judgment, without expectation, you're already, you're already winning. We're and already then start winning. on the mat. It's a smaller container right? In your yoga practice and then expand that container to your life by yourself, to your life in relationship, to, you know, expand and expand and expand as you feel comfortable. But starting on the mat, just in the shape, can I breathe? Can I be present? Can I feel what's coming? What's what I feel that I need versus what I think I should do? Already there, it's, you have maybe years of work (laughs) to play with. (laughs) You have a long time to play with things and see how it goes. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, it's not about getting there too quickly because. Well, like you when, said, it's never finished anyway. There's always, yeah. you know, and it's, if we also think of that, it's not changing something that is broken, then it's not, there's not a point where it's, it's fixed now. Right? right. If we're thinking of evolving and transforming in a way of just being more and more and more expensive, there's no limit to that expensiveness. So that also takes some of the judgment out because there's not a possibility of failing and not achieving mm-hmm. that whatever expectation you had put on what it looks like for you to have changed what right. you thought you needed to change. Because I think, I think that word failure is key because a lot of people think, well, I'm trying to change these habits and I failed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, and it's not, it's like, no, you didn't fail. You just, you just came across a hurdle, you know, and it's like, let's get over that hurdle. Um, And, and that's, that's growth. It's just going, oh, wow, I stumbled. What I love to um, give people an example of is that if you talk to any of these amazing entrepreneurs out there that are just doing stuff that's just beyond belief. You know, I always, I always, I admire Richard Branson. I admire, um, Elon Musk. I admire, I admire Steve Jobs. And yeah, there's, there's craziness that comes with genius, 
but they all say the same thing. Like, I don't, I never saw myself fail at anything. And yet from the outside picture, we could look at all these different endeavors that didn't work for them. And not one of those people ever saw it as a failure. They were Mm -hmm. just like, oh, okay, that's not the way. Uh, Let's try it this way. It was like, that was learning. It was learning, you know, it's like when you learn your ABCs, of course you get it wrong. You don't always get it in order. And, you know, how many of us have memories of being in kindergarten going, yeah, I remember I thought it was that. It doesn't make you stupid because you didn't get it. You know, you didn't get the the result that you were looking for immediately. Yeah. You know, it is always about growing and we can't, you know, we can't learn how to walk or run without falling over. Nobody shouts at the baby if he can't get up and walk <laughs> at the first try. Nobody goes, well, that's a that's failure. That's such a good image to keep in mind. That's so funny. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You don't like, you're not teaching your baby how to walk. And if it doesn't do it on the first couple tries, you don't, well, I guess you're going to be a sitter for the rest of your life. <laughs> no hope for you. No, we keep encouraging. Wow. He stumbled. Great. He picked himself back up again. Great. We celebrate all those little stumblings when we're babies. Why not do it and for ourselves when we're adults? Yeah, exactly. We yeah. need to have that same relationship with our personal growth. Like see, your, you know, we're, we're all babies. We're all going to fall. We're going to stumble. We're going to get things in quotes wrong sometimes, but that's not, it's not a failure. It's just yeah. like, oops, that, that I can make a better choice. Yeah. You know, I, think I can that's make a, a better approach. I think that's a great takeaway we can leave listeners with. <laughs> today um i'll put all your info in the show notes but where's the best place for people in the meantime to find you if they want to study with you they want to get the book you were talking about or just have more question or want to say hello after today's interview um, where do yeah, they go so um brahmaniyoga.com and in the show notes that'll be spelled out and then also i'm on instagram brahmani julie um facebook julie martin brahmani yoga Um, and just, yeah, dive into that. The book isn't, um, fully published yet, but you can get your pre-orders. We're hoping for at least the electronic version, um, by the end of the month, I'm thinking by the end of, uh, so by by the time people get this episode, it's probably, it'll probably be out. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. That was a very pleasurable episode. Oh, thank you, Erica. I loved it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast or visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to become a premium member and get your hands on our exclusive content and start to give back to the community. Check out the show notes on my website, ericabelanger.com to find more info about our guests of today, Julie Martin, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating music, editing, and mastering this podcast. All right, once again, thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>